0: a broken relationship can leave you with a lifetime of pain and emptiness. The good news is, relationships can be restored. The proof is in God's Word. Today, on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to 1 Samuel and shares how young David turned a tense standoff into a touching reunion. To introduce the conclusion of his message, How to Treat Your Enemy,
1: here's Dr. Jeremiah. And thank you so much for joining us. We are studying the life of David. Uh, We call this series The Tender Warrior, and there are uh, two study guides for this series. We're, We're studying it through the month of June, which is almost finished, but it will take us most of July to finish it up, so there's a study guide for each month. And if you get these two study guides, you have a pretty good outline of the life of David from the Old Testament, um, and uh, a lot of information that will help you really appreciate his life. I hope you will get the study guides. You can get them from davidjeremiah.org. You will see them displayed there. You can order them, and I hope you will do it. Before we get started with today's uh, lesson on how to treat your enemy, let me remind you that we are going to Israel uh, in 2024 And the dates for the trip are March the 12th through the 22nd. It's an 11-day itinerary, departing uh, for Israel on March the 12th, and uh, we'll be in so many wonderful places. You know, what's included in your tour is the teaching ministries, the sessions, the study materials that we send you ahead of time, outstanding accommodations, uh, breakfast and dinner provided every day during the tour, along with five lunch stops, including the St. Peter's Fish Lunch, which has lots of stories connected with it, and Israel's best tour operators and licensed hand picked tour guides, uh, luxury coaches. Oh, it's just, this trip is planned to the details to make it uh, so exciting for you. And we hope you will come along with us. We'll have Michael Sanchez, Yorio Vega. I have the uh, material f- right in front of me uh, that advertises this tour. And I can feel my heart beating a little faster just thinking about it. I hope you will come with us. Once again, that's March the 12th through the 22nd, 2024. Well, we started this on Friday, and we were talking about what you do when somebody treats you badly, and I was reminded uh, over the weekend how many times in the New Testament we are given instruction. I think there are five particular passages that tell you what to do when people don't treat you right, and here's what they say. These passages say, pray for them, do good for them, don't respond with uh, revenge, give them up to the Lord, give them water to drink, give them food to eat. All of this is counterintuitive, except it happens to be what the Bible says. And when you do it, you will see why. Let's pick up where we left off as we finish up this discussion of how to treat your enemy.
2: So principle number one from 1 Samuel 24 is refuse revenge. Number two, principle number two, risk reconciliation. Risk it. And I want to say from the outset that if you have a problem with a brother, or even with somebody who is not a brother, if you have a problem and you have in your heart even the thought of reconciliation, there is risk involved every step of the way. And that's why more people don't do it. That's why more people don't reach out to try to restore broken relationships because of the risk. And what are the risks? The risks are it may not work. The risks are that your endeavor to restore the relationship might be cast back in your face. The risks are that you might say the wrong thing and make the problem worse. The risks are that you might be wrong in your analysis of the nature of the problem. There are all kinds of risks. So when David determined to try to get things right with Saul the best that he could, he risked things, at least two things that I'm aware of from this passage. Number one, he risked the ridicule of his own men. He risked. The ridicule of his own men. Notice what it says in the fifth verse. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said to his men, got his men around him, and he said to them, God forbid that I should do this thing unto my master. He's the Lord's anointed. I should not stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord and then the Bible says that David stayed one of the references in the margin says he restrained the word literally means David tore apart so David tore apart his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul in other words David had an argument with his own men over this their counsel was clear kill Saul do it now you've got this chance David said no I can't do it it would be wrong I would violate a principle that I should not touch the Lord's anointed, and I cannot. What was David risking? Oh, you know it well, don't you? David, you've lost your nerve. You've lost your courage. Here you have this man who is your enemy, you know he's your enemy, he's right in your hand, and you haven't got the guts to deal with it. David, you get in weak. I can't believe, David, you're the same one that stood out there in the valley between the Philistines and the Israelites all by yourself and took out Goliath with just one little slingshot. I can't believe you've won all these battles with the Philistines. You've slain your ten thousands and Saul his thousands. And Saul is your enemy. You're going to replace him. You've got him in the palm of your hand, and you won't deal with it, David. You have gotten weak because you won't deal with the problems. David said, no. You are never weak when you are standing upon the principles of the word of God. And David would not be swayed even by his own men. To take what they consider to be the strong action. For in David's heart and mind, he knew that the strong action was to do what God wanted him to do. And so he was able, by his own righteousness and commitment to this truth, to bring those men along with him. His courage caused those men to agree, and they did not lift their hand against Saul. And David was able to stay the hand against the king because of his courage. But I want to tell you something. When he risked reconciliation, he risked The ridicule of his own men. It's surprising to me how often when we try to be peacemakers, people view that as weakness. When we try to take the road of reconciliation instead of strong confrontation, people view that as as a weak approach, and it never is. David risked the ridicule of his men, but I want you to note secondly that David risked the retaliation of Saul. Verses 8 through 15, we are told what happens. David goes out to meet Saul. He does it on his own, and we wonder what he is doing. He knows he has been hunted by 3,000 men, but notice what happens. Saul leaves the cave, and David arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth, and he bowed himself down before the king. Now, I want you to notice what happens next in the confrontation of David with his enemy. Three things. And they are very good things when we have to confront someone who has wronged us. Have you ever had to do that? It's a hard, a hard thing to do. It is very difficult to confront anyone, especially someone who has, in our mind at least, done ill to us, has wronged us. The first thing that David did in his confrontation of Saul was he presented the facts. In the eighth verse, David stoops down before Saul, and David says to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt? Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. What did David say? Well, he just presented the facts. He didn't try to dodge it he didn't get all mushy and syrupy and forget what the problem was David understood the problem and in his estimation here was the problem that caused the enmity between David and Saul David said Saul you're listening to the wrong people people are coming to you and telling you that I am your enemy and Saul it is not the truth it has never been the truth why do you listen to them do you know how easy it is for us men and women to cause strained relationships between two people when we get involved as a third party feeding bad information to one or the other of them. Many relationships are broken in the body of Christ, which could have maintained wholeness but for the fact that someone who for some reason or another thought they were doing something good for a person has fed bad information to one of the parties and that party believed it and was estranged from a friend. That's what had happened to Saul, and David knew it, and he presented that to him. He said, Saul, here's your problem. You've been listening to people who've told you that I am your enemy. It has never been the truth. It is not the truth today. Then secondly, he proved his faithfulness to Saul. Verse 11, here's where the skirt comes in. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and kill thee not, know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. I can just see David saying, Saul, why don't you check out the bottom of your robe? Does this look familiar? Saul, you know where I got that? I was close enough to you to hear you breathe. One." Little flick of the sword or the dagger, and you would be history. Saul, I had that opportunity, and here's proof, and yet I didn't kill you. He presented the facts and he proved his faithfulness, and then he pledged his friendship. Notice verses 12, 13, and 15. Three times he indicates his commitment to Saul The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee but mine hand shall not be upon thee. Saul, I am not going to kill you. I am not going to do you harm. Verse 13, as saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. And verse 15, he has pled his case and he has asked God to deliver him out of Saul's hands. What he has said in essence, Saul, is this. He said to Saul, you are not, a target you are not an enemy I will not kill you I am not out to do you harm I am your friend I want to maintain your friendship you have my pledge of my friendship to you and then he even used a little sarcasm and I think maybe because this had been such a tense confrontation David threw this in I don't know if it was humorous in the Hebrew but it sure sounds funny to me when I read it in the English at the end of his confrontation with Saul he throws this in verse 14 He said, after whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea? In other words, he's saying, Saul, just stop and think about it for a moment, will you? I mean, you're the king of Israel. Look at all these people. You've got 3,000 men with you. And I'm just a poor shepherd boy. I'm living out here in the cave. Saul, don't you think it's kind of strange that as the king of Israel, you're out here running down a little shepherd boy with 3,000 men? What, are you coming after a dog, after a flea? And that brings us to the third principle. Principle number three, we refuse revenge and we risk reconciliation. Principle number three, restore the relationship. Now in verses 16 to the end of the chapter, we'll just have to cover this quickly. We see... What happens when David confronts Saul in such a way? And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. You can get the picture, don't misunderstand Saul's tears. He's not being converted, he's not having a revival. But Saul has been confronted with such outright righteousness and grace and mercy on behalf of the one that he hates, that the only reaction that he can have to the whole thing is one of emotion. He begins to cry. And then he gives a speech to David, beginning in the 17th verse, and he said, thou art more righteous than I. For thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed me this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, forasmuch as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore, the Lord reward thee good, for that thou hast done unto me this day. Obviously, Saul was made to acknowledge that David was a man of integrity. And Saul's repentance... Though it was shallow, it was just for the moment. Saul had to know in his own heart that he had just had a confrontation with his own replacement. There's a very interesting little phrase here in the 24th chapter that I believe is linked to something Samuel told Saul back in the 15th chapter. I want you to notice the phrase, first of all, here in verse 17, where Saul said to David, Thou art more righteous than I. That was his observation. Turn back in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 15 and verse 28. Samuel has just told Saul that he will no longer be king because of his rebellion and his disobedience. And in verse 28, he said this to him. And Samuel said unto Saul, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Back to verse 17. And Saul said to David, thou art more righteous than I am. You know what I think happened right at that moment when the flood of all of this experience descended into the mind of Saul? At that moment, Saul knew that indeed David was to be the next king and that he was going to be replaced. In fact, his next words are clearly an indication of that. And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. He knew now that David was to replace him. It won't change his character. It won't change his behavior in the chapters that follow immediately. But for that moment at least, through the righteousness, through the patience, through David's refusal to execute Saul, the anointed of the Lord, Saul saw in David a man after God's heart, and he saw the man who would replace him as the king. Saul cries, and he confesses, and he concludes that David will be king. In the next verses, he asks David to do something that gives to King David the opportunity to forgive and restore the relationship, even if it was for but a moment. We see the magnitude of David's heart in these verses. Truly, he is a gracious man. Now that Saul has indicated his knowledge that David would succeed him as the king, he asks him for a favor. Please note that Saul's more natural and normal and godly response would have been to plead for David to forgive him. To say to David, Will you forgive me for such unrighteous treatment? As soon as he understands who David is in the plan of God. But Saul is a selfish man. He thinks only of himself. And if he can't think of himself, he thinks of the self that is extended beyond his own life. And notice his request. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me and that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. In other words, what he is saying, David, I don't want you to extirpate my posterity. Please don't cut off my sons and my grandsons from being a part of the kingdom. You are going to be the king, but leave a place for my children in the kingdom. And if you know the story of David, you know he did that. You remember the story of Jonathan's crippled son Mephibosheth and how David protected him because in the record we are told he remembered the promise he had given to Saul. Here's an interesting thing. If you had been David, what would you have said? I know what I would have said. I would have said, listen, Saul, I'll sign that agreement, but I want you to sign an agreement that you'll quit chasing me around these rocks. I am tired of running from you. I don't want you to hunt me anymore. Will you give me your word? But you know, David was smarter than I am. Saul knew that if he asked David to promise the protection of his posterity, David would do it. David knew if he asked Saul to promise anything, it was a waste of time. But the interesting thing is that here is David forgiving Saul, restoring the relationship, granting the request, making the promise. Hmm. Did Saul change? no you say Pastor Jeremiah what is my responsibility when somebody has wronged me I want to reach out and forgive them and I know when I forgive them that it's not gonna change how many times I have talked to especially women who have gone through this kind of a hassle in their marriages and they have said to me pastor I love the man I'm gonna forgive him I know I ought to forgive him but you know when I forgive him I know in my heart he's not gonna change Let me see if you can separate out for a moment those two things. Was David responsible for what Saul did after this confrontation? Absolutely not. Was David responsible to condition his forgiveness of Saul and the restoration of that momentary relationship based upon his belief that Saul would carry it out in the future? No, and I believe David knew in his heart that this was just for a moment. But it was a moment for which God had prepared David And his only responsibility was his own heart's attitude toward this one who had so mistreated him. We are never responsible for the actions of others, but we are always responsible for our reactions to their actions. And I may have to forgive my brother knowing in my heart that if he gets another chance, he'll do it again. But that is not my problem. My problem is to hold him in the same mercy and grace with which I have been held by God in heaven who forgave me, knowing in his heart that his forgiveness of me would not keep me from violating his holiness again. David forgave. Refuse revenge, risk reconciliation, and restore the relationship. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, is that possible in the world in which we live today, in this sue-happy culture? It's not only possible, it's excitingly and thrillingly and potentially an experience for each one of us to enjoy. I can't be for sure that this psalm was written at this particular time, but as we close today, I want you to turn in the hymn book of the Old Testament to the seventh psalm. Many scholars believe that Psalm 7 goes with this experience that we have just read about. It is called a Shigeon of David, which he sang unto the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. And the word Cush, most people believe, is the word for Kish, and Saul was the son of Kish. And this is related to Saul in some way, according to the Hebrew scholars. I want to just read this psalm. If we really believe in God, then we can trust God with the misunderstandings in our life and believe that God will reconcile them without our taking his part in our own hands. David had learned to rest his case with God. And here's the prayer that he prayed. I think it's a beautiful presentation. O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces, and there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, parenthesis, yea, I have delivered him that with all cause is mine enemy. If I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. In other words, David is saying, Lord, if I am really guilty, if this man is after me in just cause, then I'm willing to take my punishment. If I have violated him in some way, Lord, let the punishment come. I won't dodge it. But then verse 6, he changes his whole presentation. He says, but Lord, you arise in your anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about for their sakes, therefore return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to mine integrity that is in me. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. Let me just stop there. That's David's message to all of us. Who is your defense today? Who's pleading your case? With whom have you left your disputes? Are you trying to resolve all these conflicts in your own strength, or are you willing to let God do it? Oh, you must take your part as God directs but when you try to do the job which God says is his alone in paying back those who have hurt you, you have stepped out of the will of God and you are now functioning all on your own and you will reap the benefits of it and they're not good. Refuse revenge. Risk reconciliation. And brothers and sisters, restore that relationship.
1: Amen. You know, sometimes you are so mad at somebody Uh, and they may be another Christian, you're so angry with something they did, and maybe they did something really bad, and you think in your heart, that is never going to get right. And it never will without God, and without your willingness to submit to His principles, which we've talked about today. Well, uh, tomorrow and Wednesday, we're going to talk about David and Abigail. Do you know that story? Oh my goodness, what a story. David and Abigail. I know a lot of people name their daughters Abigail. That's a to me, that's a, a wonderful name. And, uh, well, I, I can't get ahead of the story. I just want you to be with us tomorrow as we begin to tell this two-day story about David and Abigail from 1 Samuel 25. And then Thursday and Friday, we're going to talk about David's depression. We're going to be very honest and open about it. It's a big deal in our culture today. I hope you won't miss any of the sessions this week. Don't forget to ask for your copy of The Focused Life when you send your gift to Turning Point
0: today. See you tomorrow. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is helping you to grow your faith, please share it with us by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The Focus Life, a month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs in a beautiful leather-bound book, yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords, Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Do you
2: ever wonder if we're living in the end times? In Dr. Jeremiah's book, Where Do We Go From Here? He examines what Bible prophecy reveals about 10 phenomena happening in our world today. Order your copy this month, and if you give $75 or more, you'll also receive Dr. Jeremiah's entire teaching series on CD or DVD, correlating study guide and his interview special on DVD. Order now at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca.
0: If you have been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca.
1: Two United States Marines recently confronted a man who was wearing a full-dress military uniform. The Marines were suspicious that the man was impersonating a high-ranking member of the military because of the improper way he was wearing the uniform and displaying his medals. That made me wonder, how does someone know we are actually a Christian when we say we are? How do they know we are not impersonating a follower of Christ? Well, only God knows each of our hearts, of course, but the New Testament details things that will be true of every genuine Christian, and we should know what they are. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's definition of a Christian on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.